Get ready to enjoy an earful of auditory indulgence as you explore Tom Moon's book, 1,000 Recordings to Hear Before You Die, presented in cooperation with Workman Publishing. Hey everybody, welcome to this week's 1,000 Recordings podcast. I'm Anthony Joseph Landman, and joining me as always is my co-host, the harmonious Mitchell Davis. What's up? Hey, how's it going? It's good. It's good, man. We've got, again, a lot of cool music to cover this time. Um, We've got Fiona Apple, The Arcade Fire, uh, Martha Agrarich playing Maurice Ravel, Louis Armstrong, and Arrested Development. So again, very diverse stuff this week. For sure. Yeah. Um, And uh, yeah, how, how have you been doing? Pretty good, uh, you know. Busy as usual. These all kinds of stuff going on, uh, you know. But uh, glad to be doing this again. How about yourself? Uh, yeah, good man. Just listening to music, uh, trying to uh, take all this stuff in and uh, and uh, process it. You know, in one week, it can uh, sometimes be a kind of a tall order, but. Oh yeah, um, but yeah, we're trying, man, getting through all this stuff in in one, in one week. Um, and uh, other than that, uh, yeah, just hanging out, uh, listening to music, playing music, writing music, and eating and sleeping. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah, let's just start with um, our first album this week which is by Fiona Apple, her album, Win the Pawn, dot, dot, dot. So it's like um, the title of this album is like a hundred words long or something, right? Yeah, it was in Guinness <laughs> Book of World Records. Is It was officially the, the longest album title of, of any, I guess, record that you could sound scan. For, for a minute there, I think someone has, has since... Uh, eclipse that record but at first it was it was ridiculously long the actual title so you know that was that was just like one of those things that drew attention to that that record outside of the actual content um, right right so i'm sure the the entire title is written out there somewhere but we're not going to read it on the show um no. <laughs> so <laughs> so we're just going to to refer to it um by the first three words win the pawn um and this album uh, released in 1999, her second uh, album, you know, after her debut. And you said um, you had a little, uh, I guess, insight to how she got started last time. Yeah, when I read a little bit closer, it was it was something I'd heard about her, basically how she got discovered. Uh, it was sort of through a a friend who had a. A lady she was babysitting for who was like a, a music publisher and uh you know just gave her kind of like a demo tape and then you know she passed that on to uh you know someone at sony and i think that's how she she sort of got discovered uh, initially i kind of thought she was actually the babysitter herself you know but it it was it turned out a little different once i read read up on it. and apparently like almost everyone in her family you know mother father brother even cousins, she has like this very famous family that have all been musicians or 
you know, some sort of person in entertainment. You know, when I, I went through just looking at, I mean, just everybody in her family, you know, they, they've all been in show business wow. somehow, some way, uh, which is, I guess, not totally unusual, but a little bit, uh, you know, I mean, yeah, when yeah. I, I read through, um, it looks like, uh, like her sister was like a, a cabaret singer. She had a, a half brother who directed one or two of her videos, you know, just, um, yeah, very creative people. Sounds like, yeah, very, very, I mean, just, and apparently it goes back, you know, generations where just i guess her family's just all been doing that type of thing for a while so yeah yeah interesting um well i don't know you want to talk about the the first track the first track we're going to listen to is fast as you can and uh did you want to say a little bit about this or just play it so we kind of know what we're getting into oh we we can play it first and then then just kind of elaborate i guess okay all right so This is the first track for this week's podcast, Fiona Apple's Fast As You Can. as fast as you can by fiona apple from her album win the pawn dot 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 um so what do you think of this one uh definitely different from some things she had done in the past uh where it was kind of more centered around just her voice and and piano i mean this one is a little more upbeat you know the the way the drums come in yeah um you know kind of the same style of writing uh seemingly but uh it it definitely had had more of an upbeat style from from things she had done in the past you know which a lot of her stuff had kind of been more i don't want to say subdued but not not as not as excited sounding as this yeah i mean that's a lot of stuff on the album is is like that i would say more subdued kind of kind of darker than this you know Mm -hmm. um yeah and uh yeah yeah so, I mean, that's one of the things that, that makes it sa- uh, stand out on the album for me. Um, it's a little bit more upbeat, a little more lively. I don't know if the lyrical content is, but um, the music is for sure. Um, the, a lot of her songs seem to be about 
kind of uh you know Relation, relationships relationships but from the point of view of stay away from me <laughs> I, i'm gonna i'm gonna hurt you or something you know yeah yeah <laughs> like i'm not fit to be in a relationship you know so don't get close to me yada 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 <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah um, yeah that, that seems to be a running theme for sure yeah yeah and uh the the next song is uh i think uh lyrically is right in this vein uh the way things are and this is again more subdued uh kind of similar to uh the rest of the music on the album it's got this uh weird kind of loping rhythm through it um I, I mean, really cool, but uh, I don't know. That's the only word I can put to it. This, this sort of, this sort of loping rhythm. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, what do you think about uh, this one? The way things are. Um, the the guy that produced the album, I want to say his name is John Brian. Brian, John Brian. Uh, he seems to have that that style where he he'll, he'll find tape loops and. And just weird sounds and 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 you know kind of unconventional instruments to throw in and and kind of build around what she already is about you know and 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 that that kind of comes through definitely in this song um and uh you know definitely like you said again more on the 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 dark side of, of relationships which obviously you know that's that that's something that you know obviously can be touched on a lot you know, in, in today's world where, you know, you have relationships that, you know, are, you know, up and down and, um, yeah. Yeah. It's just, it's kind of interesting to listen to, um, I don't know the relationship from a point of view is somebody that kind of doesn't believe that a relationship for them can work out Yeah, and, 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 uh, it's sort of, forthcoming about the problem being their own you know uh yeah, but but I, I, but yet I, I, they can't she can't stop herself from doing it it's just it's yeah, kinda, I, yeah i think she's just gotten to a point where she's like you know what i'm not trying to fool you and i'm definitely not trying to fool me you know i i have issues and you know just just before we do this if you can deal with my issues great <laughs> but if you can't you know just you know don't don't say I didn't warn you, which, which, you know what, that, that, that's a great thing in, in a relationship because, you know, either, either you care or you don't, you know? Right. And my thing is if you, if you love someone enough to deal with their so-called mess, you know, and, and I mean, that can be a two way street. I mean, we all have baggage. So, you know, Fiona Apple was just, I mean, when you, I mean, when you look at her and her videos and on her, you know, her record covers. I mean, she's she's a pretty good looking lady. So you know, it's just one of those things. Like you know, you can have this, but there's this is not all there is. So you know, right? Yeah, and I think she takes it a step further, though. You're right. She says all that stuff, um, and she's very honest about it. But she goes a step further and tells the person, "Now we can do this, but just don't get too close. Because if you do." Yeah. I'm out. <laughs> yeah. Basically. Um, yeah. So at least she's uh, kind of brutally honest about it. Um, yeah. For any dude that wants to date Fiona Apple, really, I- I'd suggest listening to her music first. 
<laughs> so you know. So anyway, um, let's check this out. This is the way things are. I wouldn't know what to do with another chance if you gave it to me. I couldn't take the embrace of a real romance. They race right through me. I'm much better off the way things are. Much, much better off. Better by far, by far. I wouldn't know what to say to a gentle voice It'll roll right past me And if you jog it up, you see I don't really have a choice So don't even ask me I'm much better off the way things are Much, much better off Better by far, by far So keep on calling me Right, that was The Way Things Are by Fiona Apple uh, from her world record-setting uh, album titled 90-word whatever. Um, so the next band that we're going to listen to is Arcade Fire. And uh, before we listen to this album, or, or well, I can't speak for you, before I, I listen to this album for this show... I had heard a lot about Arcade Fire, a lot of hype, you know, um, not just in the media, but among sort of hipster music people, if you know what I mean by that. I, yeah, I, I do. I do. And uh, I'd never heard them. I'd, I'd heard a lot about them. I'd never heard them uh, prior to this. Yeah. Uh, I don't What about, have you heard them before? this very 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 little i mean you know i'd, I'd kind of you know gone to pandora and, and and listened to you know a few songs there and i i think the thing with me and, and arcade fire was there was not one particular song that just jumped out at me and said you know what i need to listen to this or you know this is this is something i'm really interested in not saying that you know not like trying to put a downer on them or anything is is the type of band they are but I just I missed the boat on them, you know, for whatever reason. And, um, you know, I had a lot of people say, man, you need to listen to this. This is really good. And and I just it never it never really dawned on me what they were about, you know, until kind of this week where we kind of listened to them more. Um, you know, now I, I've got a better picture, you know, not not really a fan yet. Like I know some people who are I mean, they are diehard fans, you know, where like yeah. they. They go on the road, they'll follow them and, you know, and then at the Grammys when they, you know, they 
they did so well at the Grammys. It was one of those things that that surprised me because, you know, for you know, obvious reasons we're sitting here talking about it now, like we were as unfamiliar with them. A lot of people were like, "Who are Arcade Fire?" You know, right, right. But right. Apparently, you know, that didn't sway the judges of. You know, I shouldn't say the judges or the voters of, of you know the people who voted for them and won their Grammys. I mean, they they are beloved by a lot of folks. Yeah, and they seem to be kind of uh, critical darlings. Like, uh, you know, the critics loved Arcade Fire, including Tom Moon in this book. He, uh, on, you know, obviously included their album Neon Bible in this book, yeah. and he really yeah. talks it up. Um, big time uh you know there's a lot of critics apparently they were calling them the, the future of rock music and i mean really kind of over the top um, just a lot that's, that's 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 a lot to put on just one band you yeah know? yeah it is it is a lot uh you know their approach I, i've watched some live videos of them uh performing and their approach is cool i mean uh they've got a lot of band members and they're all multi-instrumentalists. They'll play uh, multiple instruments. So they've got this stage with a, you know, a ton of instruments all over the place and people. And uh, the members are constantly moving around the stage to different instruments and to, uh, to get okay. different sounds. And and uh, they almost approach the songs the, um, a lot of the times in a sort of orchestrational way. So you know they'll. Um, layer different sounds and you know they're constantly moving to different instruments and things and uh it's a cool thing to to see um and i i don't know i mean i think i'm i'm more like you i don't know i'm a, if i'm a a huge fan of theirs yet um you know i listened to the album uh that we're going to talk about neon bible several times and the two tracks that we're going to play uh, intervention and black wave slash bad vibrations. I really like those tunes. Um, I really like intervention a lot. Uh, the album as a whole, I, I was a little lukewarm on, but mm-hmm. you know, it's just, it's just me. It's just, uh, my, you know, and like I said, I, I have not heard any other arcade fire albums, just this one. So, yeah. um, but, uh, let's, you know, let's get into the music. The first, track that we're going to play is from intervention and apparently at some point i don't know when um arcade fire purchased a, a an old defunct church in uh, montreal that's where they're from and they converted it into a recording studio and that's where they recorded this album and yeah. maybe subsequent albums i don't know um, i think i think i kind of heard something about that yeah, so this song intervention starts out with this huge pipe organ, and I think, yeah. I, I like I said, I don't know for sure, but I think that this pipe organ is the actual pipe organ in the church. It doesn't sound like a keyboard with a organ sound. It sounds like a real huge organ, a church yeah, organ. The, the post for that song that that, that you uh, you you posted earlier. So when I first heard that, I was like. You know, how often do you hear a pipe organ, like a church pipe organ? Yeah. In any kind of modern music. And I, that kind of caught my attention right away. And I was like, man, it and it worked. I mean, it, it would be different if it was just there, you know, and, but it, it worked in the song, you know. Oh, um, yeah, totally. Yeah. One of the things I really liked about this song is how it grows um, orchestrationally. So what I mean by that is 
the song just starts out with the pipe organ and an acoustic guitar. That's just those two instruments, uh, you know, with the singing. Uh, then uh, this keyboard comes in with a sort of string sound. I mean, you can tell it's a it's a electronic keyboard plus a glockenspiel, which they seem to use a lot in their music. That's like yeah. a little, you know, uh, metal bar uh, xylophone-like instrument. And uh, it just starts from these few instruments and just grows and grows and grows. You know, more instruments are layered on until at the end of the song, you have this almost orchestral texture um, with strings and uh, these female voices, These where which I, I can't tell if it's one female singing or like two singing in unison, but it, whoever's singing, the female voice has this really, really pure voice. And in this track, it almost comes off sounding like this entire children's choir in the background yeah yeah um this is a really cool sound i mean it gets you know it so it starts kind of simply and at the end it gets you know to almost this sort of epic epically orchestral in proportion you know and that's what i loved about this song um what about you what do you think of this just pretty much the same i mean you know the the, the build up at first you you're, you're just kind of sitting there and then as they add things on and on, you're just like, man, you know, this is, this is crazy. I mean, you know, they, they have all kinds of stuff going on. And, and like you said about the, the members, I didn't realize how many people, you know, were, were actually performing on, on the tracks. I mean, I initially, when I kind of had an idea about them, I thought maybe it was like at the most about four or five people, but apparently it's a lot more than that. You know Yeah. I mean? Apparently it's like nine or 10. Yeah. And I, that that's one thing too that I, I was thinking to myself, man, they they they've got like a huge is I mean, like like Parliament Funkadelic where they would go on stage and there's you know, there's like, you know, almost twenty people on stage and it's right. like <laughs> holy cow, you know, and, and everybody's grooving and everybody has, you know, something that's really, you know, integral to the song. I mean so I mean, like like I was saying earlier, you know, I definitely had had missed the boat on them. And, and and now I'm I'm trying to still catch up. Not really saying I'm a fan yet, but you know, definitely a lot more interested than I was, you know, before this week. So Yeah, yeah, yeah. So let's check it out. This is Arcade Fire's intervention. Working for the church while my family died.
we heard Intervention by Arcade Fire. And we're going to move on to their track, Black Wave slash Bad Vibrations. Uh, this is kind of, it's really two songs crammed together. And the transition in the middle of the song, again, is using the glockenspiel as this sort of little transitioning agent. Um, so I'll probably try to get that transition. So... Uh, in the excerpt that we play so that we can hear kind of both sides of the song. Um, The first part of the song features the female voices. Um, Again, I don't know. Hey, if some listener out there can tell me, that would be great. But um, there are two female voices. I'm not sure if it's the same voice overdubbed or if it's truly two different people. But... um, They've got some really cool vocal harmony in this first part, and it it sounded to me like almost some kind of twisted B-52s or something. Um, (laughs) What did you think of uh, this one? Um, Again, just um, amazing the amount of instrumentation, first of all, that that went into it. Um, You know, I, I, I still... I'm I'm waiting to to try to get into a, a song of theirs that that just jumps out of me and that that's I mean that's really on me it's not on them you know I mean you know they they already have you know a pretty decent body of work but you know this song I I didn't like as much as the, the previous but uh definitely you know really really good as, as far as you know being being different I mean I, I don't think there's anybody out there quite like them any anybody that sounds anything like them even yeah and yeah uh, yeah true you know it's, it's just one of those things that i i know it's going to take me a minute to get into you know i i i thought that when when i first heard about them i would immediately like them but it didn't happen right away and uh you know but i'm that's fine with me i mean i'm just one of those people that i can i can take my time and and then eventually turn around and, and then I'll be like everybody else is like, man, they're, they're so fabulous. And this, because right now, I mean, this, this song was 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 good. Not I, I didn't like it as much as the previous one, you know, but, you know, it's just one of those things that I know it's going to take me a minute. You know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And another thing I just wanted to mention is the just kind of the general sound of this whole album. Uh, it was recorded in this church that they converted into a recording studio and it gives this album just a really different sound than many other studio albums out there. I mean, other albums that are recorded in a normal recording studio. I mean, a normal studio is very controlled, uh, very tight spaces, very sonically controlled. You know what I mean? In um, yeah. this, you know, when, when you're recording in a big open space like a, oh, yeah. a church. Yeah. You know, it gives this. Um, this album a kind of I don't know a sound that's that's less focused it's kind of more diffused than you would normally be used to it works you know it's just I just thought I'd comment on that it's just different yeah especially one of those churches you know and I I'm not exactly sure if this church was like that one with a very high ceiling I mean yes that that's gonna make the acoustics totally different obviously and I mean I'm, I'm sure that they they were deliberate in their purpose for that. I mean, you know, that, that, that's one of those things that, I mean, you know, some, somebody, you know, had a lot of love that they put into this record. I mean, you know, considering, you know, they went into all of that, 
work to to get that sound you know i mean you know that's 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 not something that you would normally do i mean the the i mean the way of recording in the music industry is it's so not like that i mean every once in a while you have people that they kind of think outside the box and 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 want to record i've seen a few people do that where they're going to a church especially an old church and and try to get you know that sound out of there because there's there's a certain sound that you have when you create music in churches, whether it's just with a voice yeah. or with sand instruments, I mean, you know, it's it's there's nothing else like it. So, yeah, definitely. Uh, so let's check this out. This second track from the Arcade Fire. Um, it is Black Wave. You know, I, I got tripped up because bands with the in front of their name. I always, I, I never know if it's the Arcade Fire or Arcade Fire. <laughs> Um, but anyway, this is Arcade Fire, <laughs> uh, their song Black Wave slash Bad Vibrations. Black Wave slash uh, Bad Vibrations from Arcade Fire. And we're going to move on to something totally different. Um, the classical pianist Martha Argerich, Argerich, I don't know what it is, Argerich or Argerich, um, and the Berlin Philharmonic, uh, this album with a couple of piano concertos on it, one of uh, Prokofiev, piano concerto number three, and uh, the other of Maurice Ravel, which we're going to be talking about, uh, piano concerto in G. And then uh, there's another piece, a solo piano piece of Maurice Ravel on this album, which uh, I didn't know was on this album until I downloaded it. Tom Moon doesn't even mention the piece in the book, but the piece is called Gaspar de la Nuit of Maurice Ravel, uh, one of the great solo piano pieces. And also, you know, it's often remarked one of the most difficult uh, pieces in the piano repertoire, period. Um, 
And uh, so we're going to talk about those two, uh, Ravel, Ravel's Piano Concerto and uh, his uh, Gaspar de la Nuit. So I know you um, watched several times uh, Martha performing this piano concerto. What did you think of it? Um, first of all, she's she's got skills. Um, yeah, that's I, for sure. I was watching the the Ravel piano concerto um in g major i think that's that's the, the first one that uh yep, yep. i took a look at i wow i mean she she's awesome i mean i mean to to play you know the piece as it was written you know she you you already look at her fingers and the way she's moving on the piano you know so quickly i mean the amount of work and practice that she must have you know, dedicated herself to. I mean, I mean, just a tr- a truly classically trained piano player. Oh yeah, you know, in the truest sense. I mean, she's awesome, and uh, I-, I loved it. I mean, just it-, it had lots of different emotions. You know, that there there were some pieces that were that were really kind of somber but pretty, and then some that were more upbeat and 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 kind of you know fast and i mean i don't listen to a lot of classical music but i really enjoyed you know just just watching because because listening is one thing but actually watching her perform the clip in in the clip was it was amazing to to just to see her her work i mean it's it's obviously not an easy piece to play and um you know even some of the more subtle parts of it you know the quiet parts can be difficult so um, oh yeah, I mean that they say that in a lot of classical music, and I totally agree with this from experience. That um, some of the most difficult music is also some of the slowest music. Yeah. It seems contradictory, but um, it it can really be true. Um, but uh, yeah, a little bit about her. Um, you know, she had the kind of upbringing that you would expect. I think from. Uh, watching her play uh, she was born in uh, Buenos Aires Argentina and uh, began playing piano at, at three so you know three years old she yeah. she begins her first concert was at eight um, and you know from there you know she went on uh, what many classical pianists go on this road of uh, doing these international piano competitions that's how a lot of concert pianists get noticed and uh get their careers as concert pianists they win these piano competitions and uh she won her first big one uh she won in 1965 it was the international chopin piano competition in warsaw poland when she was 24 years old and then that led to uh you know carnegie hall debuts and etc etc yeah and uh there's even you know one of the biggest piano competitions classical piano competitions in the world is in texas uh it's in fort worth texas the van Cliburn competition and it's yeah I'm, I'm familiar with that yeah yeah um and it's the same thing you know these young pianists come from literally all over the world and uh they compete and then the you know the winners obviously go on to engagements with major orchestras and get recording contracts and and all that kind of stuff and um that's what happened to her. Incidentally, you know, there's there's a great movie about this. If anybody wants to check it out, it 
I can't remember when it came out, maybe late 70s or early 80s. I think it's just called The Competition, but it was with Richard Dreyfuss, and it was about this, about a bunch of classical piano players uh, at a you know competition like this. And uh, it's, oh, okay. it's it's cool. I mean, it's a, it's a really good movie. Um, uh, so if you want to, you know, see what, kind of see what it's like for these people. Um, and there's a lot of great performances in that movie. So they obviously got a lot of great pianists uh, and, you know, you can see them, you know, playing a lot of this stuff in the movie. So, um, yeah. But anyway, um, Piano Concerto in G, uh, I think we're going to play the third movement, some some stuff from the third movement mark presto, which just means fast in Italian. Yeah. <laughs> so it's just mark, you know, play it fast. Uh, and she does play it fast. Um, this concerto, as Tom Moon said, has a lot of echoes of Gershwin in it. So Gershwin Rhapsody in blue. Uh, you can hear a lot of of that influence in this piece. But I can also hear a lot of Stravinsky in this piece, especially this movement, a lot of um, uh, sort of Rite of Spring, uh, Petrushka era Stravinsky. Um, so, yeah, but I mean, it just features a lot of fast virtuosic playing. Um, and in the middle, I, I just heard there's this really great solo for the bassoon, which you don't normally hear great solos yeah. for the bassoon. Um, <laughs> yeah. So I don't know. Anything else you want to say about this before we play it? No, just, just it was an amazing piece that, like you said, just the, the instrumentation, you know, in and out, you know, it's bassoon parts, French horn parts, you know, the string parts, the string arrangements, it's very very good you know i you know really really enjoyed this piece all right so let's check it out this is the third movement presto from maurice ravel's piano concerto in g played by martha argerich Thank you. 
And that was the third movement from the Piano Concerto in G by Maurice Ravel. And we're going to play an excerpt from Ravel's piece, Gaspar de la Nuit, um, the second movement um, entitled Le Gibe. I think it, I'm, I'm, I can't pronounce French at all, really. <laughs> but I think it's um, pronounced Le Gibe. Uh, and speaking of kind of slow music this is slower music it's very dark um the you know this piece is really narrative and is kind of picturesque this this whole piece and this movement um and this is actually in the score in the music you know that uh, the pianist is looking at um it says uh well the, the whole piece is based on a poem by uh, another French poet, uh, Bertrand, uh, and it says in the score, uh, the observer is presented with a view of the lone corpse of a hanged man reddened by the setting sun. A bell tolls in the distance, creating the deathly atmosphere that surrounds the observer. Throughout the entire piece, a B-flat octave ostinato, imitative of the tinting bells, that must remain distinctive and constant in tone as notes cross over and dynamics change. So um, we get this visual of this person seeing this man that's been hanged, you know, maybe in the town square or something has been hanging there for a while. Uh, and we hear this tolling bell in the distance and how that's uh, how Ravel did that in the piano is he has this B flat, Um, just sort of tolling like a bell throughout the entire movement while all this stuff happens around it. Um, Yeah, and it's just, I I love this piece. It's just dark and brooding, and um, the harmonies are really kind of ahead of their time. I mean, this piece was, uh, I don't know the exact year that this piece was written, but probably in the 19-teens, so probably about 100 years ago. Mm. Um, Yeah, I don't know. Do you want to say anything about this? piece very somber that's, that's the first thing i, I yeah, noticed yeah. yeah i listened to it for a couple of minutes it's like wow and i mean i obviously you know you know there was you know good reason why you know but yeah just a you know you know beautiful piece but but very somber i mean yeah. you know throughout so you yeah know, that that was the main thing i took from it. and again you know not an easy piece to play you know as 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 slow and and, and methodical at times as it seems, you know, you know, her, her skill comes through, especially on the piano where you're just like, man, you know, that's, that's so good. I mean, she, she's, she's just great. I, I, I loved, you know, this is my first time really ever, you know, listening to anything she'd ever done. And, uh, you know, I was very impressed. Oh yeah. I mean, her skill in this piece, one of the hard things about this piece is that, uh, when you have, music like this on the piano that's all really low and the harmonies are really close together and you have a lot of dissonance and all this stuff but you have separate lines lines that are supposed to come out uh, in the hands of a less skilled player this can all just sort of mud together you know just sort of yeah. get all muddled and and uh um all sort of i don't know just just mud together in a big uh, indistinguishable sound but you know Mm -hmm. she's able to really separate out all these voices and you can clearly hear everything um and yeah it's just beautiful in her hand so let's check this out 
uh, the second movement from Maurice Ravel's Gaspard de la Nuit, performed by Martha Argaric. And that was Les Jubes from Gaspard de la Nuit uh, from Martha Argerich. See, I, I'm going back and forth saying Argerich and Argeric and whatever. <laughs> I, don't, I, don't, I don't know how to say it. Um, <laughs> so let's move on uh, from that to, <laughs> again, something, you know, we're moving on from, from something really somber to something really... Um, Upbeat. So we're going to uh, talk about Louis Armstrong and music from the collection of uh, the Complete Hot Fives and Hot Sevens. And this is uh, recordings that he made in the in the 1920s uh, with his first his quintet and uh, then his septet, and uh, really landmark recordings that laid the groundwork for. Uh, really almost all jazz that followed these yeah yeah he's 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 uh i mean a lot of people have called him that jazz ambassador he he definitely is he's at the root of what you know traditional jazz is all about to me for sure um that voice and that that style that he had of playing and, and the 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 trumpet and 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 jazz obviously is is really important but what he did it was it was so good, but but so simple that you know little kids could appreciate it, and then someone who's you know much older could appreciate it. And um, you know this this is just some great stuff. You know all all the stuff that we you know have on on this record. I mean, it's just you know very very good good material. Oh yeah, and this uh, the first track that we're gonna hear is Heebie Jeebies, and this is one of the most more famous ones from uh, this collection. Uh, it said that this is the very, very first 
iteration example of scat singing ever. Mm. Um, wow. Yeah, ever. Um, and um, the the story goes that uh, now some jazz historians, you know, dispute this, but the story they don't they don't dispute that this is the first appearance of scat, but they they some of them dispute this story. The story is that while recording, Louis Armstrong dropped his sheet with the lyrics on it. And because they couldn't stop, he just went ahead and started singing, you know, these sort of nonsense <laughs> syllables. <laughs> now, whether that's true or not, we don't know. I mean, um, later in life, apparently Louis Armstrong was, you know, this story was recounted to him uh, by biographers and interviewers and stuff. And apparently he was very ambiguous with his answers. So uh, we're not sure if this, you know, is urban legend or if this is absolutely true, but it is true that this was the first appearance of scat singing, which went on to become a staple of jazz and yeah. uh you know w- with people that became masters of scat singing like Ella Fitzgerald and um and Cab Calloway and others um and uh this also proves the old adage that you can't sing a sad song while playing a banjo <laughs> Steve Martin said that <laughs> yeah this is just another another uh, uh piece of proof of that so um yeah anything you want to say about this one um no just mainly the 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 issue with you know it being the the first song that you know someone actually heard you know scat type singing i mean that's 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 something that's very relevant because like you said it was one of those things in jazz music that became so vital you know where you know the the voice you know was was more than just someone singing but a, a little instrument at that point, and I mean it, it. It's an instrument, regardless. But I mean it. It. It's like a an instrument that that just simply plays notes and doesn't you know talk to you, so to speak. And um, you know, I think scat singing is is something that you know is, is definitely you know not as revered as it as it should be. I mean, you know, some people do, but you know, it's it's not easy, you know, to to do that, to, to do that and stay in the flow of the song and, and, and make it work, you know? So. Yeah, definitely. Um, all right, well, let's just check this out and let's just listen to it. Um, this is Louis Armstrong and his hot five. Uh, they're playing heebie jeebies. Keep burning, keep laughing, leave it to the little dear, to the 
That was Heebie Jeebies by Louis Armstrong and his Hot Five. And we're going to move on to uh, another piece by his Hot Five, uh, St. James Infirmary. Uh, what did you think of this one? I, I, I've always loved this song. It's, I guess it's what you would consider a jazz standard. I mean, you know, so many people have, have done this song. And um, listening to him do it, it it sounds like this is the way this song should be done. I mean, the the way that you know he 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 sings it first of all, the timing and in the arrangement. I mean, you know, this is. I mean, if you if you've never heard him do St. James Infirmary, you know, you know, Louis Armstrong is I think the standard for this yeah. song. I mean, as recent as I guess maybe a couple of years back, I know Cassandra Wilson's done a a great version of this song. I, I love Cassandra Wilson, but his version to me is, it's, I mean, it, it's just got his DNA in it. You know, it's like he, he made this song his, you know, some other people can make it, but I, I'll always think of him when I, I think of this song first, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And this song is just, it's so new Orleans. Uh, yeah. So new Orleans. It, it almost sounds like, um, something you would hear in a, like a traditional new Orleans funeral, Exactly. Uh, procession. I'm sure it's you know? been played at, at probably at several yeah. funerals for people in New Orleans. It definitely has a has a blues, you know, feel to it, even though it's jazz. And um, it, it's just one of those songs that it's 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 sad, but it's you know it, it's like you know this is this is how it is, so to speak, you know. And I mean, it's it's one of those things. I'm I'm it's this is rough, but my head is held high and. You know, and I'm grooving at the same time. I, I don't know if that makes sense. You know, yeah, yeah, it totally makes sense. And uh, I, I, I'm going to mention this again. I've mentioned this before on the show, and I'm, I'm going to mention it now. And I'm, I'm sure I'm going to mention it again in the future. Um, you all, e- even if you think you don't like jazz, you all should watch Ken Burns' documentary on jazz. And and he spends a lot of the documentary on Louis Armstrong. You know, I I I didn't realize until I watched the documentary how important Louis Armstrong was, and mm. and how important he was to jazz and to um, just American music in general. Um, the the yeah. documentary is almost a documentary on Louis Armstrong um, because he was just that pervasive. Yeah. Uh, he, he took God. jazz around the world. He literally, you know, a lot of people who didn't know, you know, a stitch about jazz learned it initially from him. I mean, he literally he was an ambassador for jazz music and, and was so popular. I mean, 
at the time where he was really coming up, like like you said in a documentary, it shows how I mean he was I mean he was a legend, you know, even back in like you said in the I think that the 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 recordings were made like in the twenties. I mean he was he was huge. You know, that's yeah. crazy, you know. Yeah, yeah. And I mean if your knowledge of Louis Armstrong is limited to what a wonderful world it's not fair to Louis Armstrong. You, you, you got to watch <laughs> yeah. this documentary or listen to more of his music. Um, so, uh, yeah, let's listen to this. St. James Infirmary by Louis Armstrong. And that was St. James Infirmary of Louis Armstrong. And we're going to move on to our last album for this week. Three years, five months, and two days in the life of Arrested Development. And uh, I don't know, what, what, do you, what do you think of Arrested Development? Well, when, when this record first came out, because Tennessee was a song I'd heard before I, you know, I, I knew anything about them. I, I first of all I knew that they were they were a lot different than than rap at that point because rap was kind of at at a crossroads you know where you you had groups like Arrested Development and, and and De La Soul and then you had other rap groups you know N.W.A. and uh, Too Short and and I mean you know rap was kind of going through a uh, an internal struggle where you know. You know, where are we going to go? And, and Arrested Development for, you know, all this worth, you know, they kind of had a, a definite positive spin on on life and, and music and, oh, yeah, yeah. and and we're trying to, you know, I guess, you know, kind of keep their their niche. And and I mean, that at first it really, really worked. I mean, you know, the the way they looked, I mean, they they had, you know, kind of traditional you know, African clothes and, and, and their hair and, and even their sound. I mean, it, it was it was rooted in a, a variety of black music where you would kind of hear, you know, soul and funk and, you know, where they they have like, you know, Sly and the Family Stone, you know, sample on the People Every Day song. And, 
you know, they, they were just one of those groups that, you know, you, you could really enjoy and, and, and be positive and listen to them because there was a lot in rap music at the time that was not positive at all, you know, for, you know, some obvious reasons. If you, you know, grew up young, black and in the hood, you know, there was a lot that, you know, there was there was a lot to be negative about, so to speak. So, yeah. And we're going to listen to some of that on the show. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. This this album, it uh, re- released in 1992. Wow. And uh, I remember, uh, you know, just I, I just kind of remember seeing these videos on MTV. And uh, you're right. There, there was this kind of weird schism in, in rap at the time. Um with bands like this, there's another band, uh, a rap group that Tom Moon mentions that, man, I totally forgot about, uh, but he mentions, uh, in the notes of this PM Dawn. Do you remember them? Yeah, yeah definitely. That's, yeah. There was yeah, sort I of another one. Put them in the same line as, yeah. as this PM Dawn for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So yeah, you had like on this one side, um, uh, this, uh, yeah, this movement, like you're talking about, um, positive movement, conscious uh, movement with these kind of bands. And then on the other hand, you have the gangster rappers, you know, like you said, NWA and Too Short. and uh, Too Short, man, I forgot about him. Um, <laughs> and, and, and be fair to Too Short, Too Short was, was I guess he wasn't really like gangster. Too Short was was more more player, like a street rapper. Yes. You know, he, yeah. You know, he talked about, you know, getting paid talked about you know the ladies and you know i i don't think i never really thought of too short as a gangster that's not really fair to put that on him but uh yeah just he was a street rapper you know right. arrest development they they didn't really rap about the streets much i mean some some somewhat but they you know they they were just they were different in that sense you know they were definitely different uh i guess another example of the an nwa on the other side would have been maybe like ghetto boys i don't yeah, know is that is 92 too early that was no that was in that that was in that era as a matter of fact yeah. um that was right about the same time because uh i can remember uh their album coming out um uh, with mind playing tricks on me about it came out about the same time as as three years did so it was that was kind of all in the, in the mix and, and what's what's funny is if you like music you know it, it really doesn't matter i mean because i i listen to both you know I, I i've seen ghetto boys in concert i've seen arrested development in concert you know i i just liked music i mean you know and my my thing was you know a lot of the subject matter especially in rap music you know where where sometimes you know you, if, if you listen to some of the things and, and and try to you know incorporate that into your actual life you know some of that's going to wind up getting you killed you know so i mean it for me it was just kind of like an a, an emotion or a thought or a time where you know i can just listen to this and then afterwards you know i i turn it off and i'm good you know yeah uh, but but going back to arrested development they they definitely had a I would almost want to say a, a, a spirit of, of community when you you looked at them and listened to them. Because, I mean, if you, you looked at the band, you know, you know, they kind of had some members that were, you know, a lot younger and then some members that were a lot older. Right. You know? And um, 
you know, that that's one of those things I, I respected about them is that they they is they seem to be trying to include everybody, you know. Yeah. And because I, I mean, everybody, you know, everybody is important. I mean, as, as far as, you know, community and and growing in life. And, and anyway, um, you know, I, I definitely one thing I loved about Arrested Development was the subject matter of a lot of their songs. Like they had a song called uh, uh, Fishing for Religion um, that was you know, kind of like one of those things where someone was just, you know, kind of disenchanted with the way churches were, you know, and, and, and going to church and, and feeling like nothing's not, nothing's really changing, you know, and, um, you know, that, that's something that people really didn't rap about in songs very much or, or sing about in songs very much, you know, especially popular music anyway. But, um, yeah. Yeah. And Arrested Development was the first rap group I ever heard that had this kind of deep South influence. Yeah. Uh, I mean, they were from Atlanta, you know, I mean, before this in the late eighties, early nineties, and we were talking about this, but you know, we've heard all the East coast stuff, um, you know, like public enemy and LL yeah. cool J and all this stuff. And then all the West coast stuff, you know, NWA and Dr. Dre and easy E and ice T and ice cube and all them. And this is really the first one that I've that that I had heard with this deep South flavor. Yeah, um, and, and you were mentioning the Ghetto Boys too. They there weren't a lot of groups from the South, you know, that that were really represented as much in rap. Very few, anyway. And uh, they were definitely one of the ones that that made it really huge. I mean, they were. I, I know you remember. They were just so so very popular at the time. Yeah. Uh huh. Yeah, definitely. Um. So let's listen to this first track that we're gonna check out. Uh, from Arrested Development's album Three Years, Five Months, and Two Days in the Life of. Uh, this is Tennessee. Tennessee. Lord, I've really been real stressed. Down and out, losing grass. Although I am black and grass. Problems got me pessimistic. Brothers and sisters keep messing up. Why does it have to be so damn tough? I don't know where I can go. To let these ghosts out of my skull. My grandma passed, my brother's gone. I never at once felt so alone. You're supposed to be my steering wheel Not just my spare tire But Lord, I ask you To be my guide for some truth For some strange reason it had to be He guided me to Tennessee Take me to another
And that was Tennessee from Arrested Development. And we're going to move on to another big hit that they had at the time, uh, People Every Day. And you know, one thing I thought was interesting about this, and I didn't realize this until you said that you wanted to play the remix version of this yeah. on the show. And uh, you know, when I first was listening through this album, um, I hadn't heard, you know, honestly, I hadn't heard this music <laughs> probably since like 93 or something. <laughs> and uh, I was listening to people every day and I was listening to it and I was like, you know, this this isn't what I remember. Mm. Um, yeah, it's that remix version. That's what yeah. I remember. But that's not the version that was on the original release. No, no, they, they re-released the album and put the remix on there, which, you know, I, ironically, that, that was one of those things back in the day that, you know, started to become the standard, too, where a, a group, especially a rap group, would, would come out with a record. And then, you know, afterwards, you know, because you always hear in rap music, you know, don't put your hottest stuff on, you know, first, you know, do the remix afterwards, which I, I would always scratch my head at first, you know, thinking why. And then eventually when the remix comes out and blows up, you know, if you want, you can always repackage it and put it on there, which I think they they did that. Yeah. And, um, you know, that was that was one of the first examples I I remember of that happening where a song in the remix version became much more popular than the original and uh you know the i think the record label at the time chrysalis they they were like you know what just go ahead and you know redo the record you know put it on there and it'll be like a bonus track or whatever yeah but i think this you know it's it's referred to as a remix but man this is more than a remix if you listen to the original version and then listen to the remix it's really a rewrite yeah, um, there it's there's totally different. yeah the the it, i mean it's like they re-record re rewrote and re-recorded the whole thing i mean there's additional lyrics and changes in the lyrics and um really even how the the lyrics are uh, d- uh presented and uh yeah. it's just totally different you know you have um i don't know who it is but you have the uh female voice in the remix kind of echoing everything that speech is saying speech being the main sort of rapper uh and in the original versions the version that wasn't there at all um anyway i just thought it was interesting how different it was um how different the remix was in the original and i think i think better yeah yeah i i enjoy the remix a lot more i mean and it it wasn't for me it wasn't a hard choice it just it had just a much better groove and uh i think the the lady you're talking about that's echoing him i think her name is ishi uh she kind of had like a shaved head real pretty lady uh she's on the cover of that that second record they did which man it's it escapes my mind right now she's on the beach um standing there and anyway um yeah they uh they went ahead and because they they had already kind of had you know a huge hit with tennessee and then a modest hit with another song like mr wendell which i think he was mr wendell was kind of like a like a street person almost like a homeless guy yeah you know and uh i ironically in in the mix of this something i wanted to talk about they they sample uh you know uh sliding a family stone on that song and uh he he's kind of been in the news lately as, as being homeless uh, wow! Uh, really? So let's just do it. And um, from from what I understand, this I, I read a, an article in uh, uh, in Huffington Post 
apparently he is really not homeless. You know, and, and this is just when I read the article. He he by choice is just not living in his house. Uh, he ha- he has a house that he could live in, but he, he he's just content being on the road. Apparently, living in his van, which you know, there there could be a number of reasons for that. I'm not really sure, but you know, huh, interesting. Uh, just a, it's kind of an aside uh, to that, you know. Subject. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And didn't one of the um one of the female singers of this band go on to have a solo career. I can't remember yeah, her name. Dion, Dion Ferris. Yeah. Yes. She, Dion uh, Ferris. Yeah. Yeah. She went on and, and, and had a, a pretty decent, uh, debut album. It was not more than pretty decent. It was a real good record. Uh, I, I saw her here in, in Houston at, at Rockefellers. You remember Rockefellers? Oh yeah. 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 That was that, that club, it, the acoustics were, were not all that hot, but it was, it was a very intimate club where you could you could almost be anywhere, and it was like the the artist was right in front of you. you Did know? um does that club not exist anymore? Rockefellers is no more. Oh, that's too bad, man. I, I saw a lot of great acts oh, there. Yeah. I saw um well Bella Fleck and the Flectones. I saw there. I saw um, Joshua Redman. There. Oh wow! I saw um this group that was together for a while that were they were called the Rite of Strings. It was like uh. I remember that. Yeah. Yeah. Stanley Clark, uh, Aldi Miola and Jean-Luc Ponty. Yeah. And yeah, I saw was... them there. Um, yeah, that was a great little place. So yeah, it's not oh, yeah. there yeah. anymore. That's too bad. Yeah. They, I'm not sure exactly what happened. I want to say, I mean, it was probably one of the situations where when, when they kind of were, you know, redoing the downtown Houston area and they had more venues there. You know, the choice was made to to have those shows go to the venues downtown, and uh, you know, someone, you know, I, I don't know how it happened, but you know, they they closed Rockefellers. And like I said, I I saw so many great shows there. Um, Maxwell went on his very first tour when his first album came out. I saw him there. I saw Erica Badu there. Uh, oh, wow. I saw Herbie Hancock there. And Herbie Hancock, when I saw him there. He played all these songs. I've never heard any of these songs before, but it was it was just amazing just to see Herbie. It was it was just Herbie and in in a two piece where it was a guy on a bass and a guy on drums and Herbie on a piano. And uh, yeah, that was a great venue. Oh uh, man, I bet that was a great show. Oh yeah, yeah, that was that was pretty awesome. Um, but but you know, back on uh, rest <laughs> development. Yeah, <laughs> poor, poor Arrested Development. We're like talking about all these other things except them. But yeah, well, you know, it's, it's kind of all. It's, it was their fault. You know. Anyway, they um, <laughs> they were they were just they were tremendous. And I like I said, spawning you know, Dion Ferris. That that was one of those odd things where I think Dion Ferris kind of got into a a dispute with her her record label because um, apparently she had like a whole second album that was supposed to come out and the label didn't like it and she was like well you know what i tell you what if, you, if y'all are gonna release it then fine you know I, but i i'm not sure what happened to her after that I, I think she's had some recordings come out but just nothing nothing like that debut you know where you know it was um it was just huge you know so yeah rest of development that was that was a cool period in music i, I know speech has done some solo records um that have been pretty good uh that I, i've heard some of that here on a, a local uh radio station ktsu uh, in, the, in the past so um oh and that second record i was talking about uh 
it's got a really funny title, uh, Zingalamundi, which I'm I'm sure that that means something. But I don't know <laughs> what it means. That you mean uh, the second record of Dion Ferris? No, no, no. Second record of Arrested Development. Oh, Arrested uh, Development. Okay. Yeah, they they had a, another record that. I mean, it just didn't do well, and I mean, obviously, with record labels, if you don't sell, then you're pretty much right done. You know? Yeah, you know, it's it, unfortunately, and it's it's a sad thing that you know to say, but I I think they had a real problem competing with the gangster rappers. Yeah, you yeah. know, that's and what that's, un- unfortunately I think that's what people wanted to hear more than than this positive message. So yeah, and and that's that's just one of the, the things in the music industry. I, I don't, I don't, I don't really think you can blame anybody for that. I mean, you know, people are just going to buy what they're going to buy. Uh, yeah. Which it, uh, another aside, I mean, you know, not trying to get off track again. Um, you know, they, there was a re-release this week, I think of, of Nirvana's Nevermind. Oh, right. I saw that. And that was one of those moments where you could just really see the current of the music industry totally shift um speaking of how it, how it shifts and where you know a lot of a lot of so-called metal bands you know were almost you know obliterated you know by the the influence of, of that band and anyway um oh yeah all the hair know. bands and stuff from i, I even yeah. i saw one time an interview with d snyder from uh twisted sister and he fully says, you know, yeah, that killed us. That killed all of us. And he's like, you know, I really like that album. I really like that stuff. But he says, you know, I have really mixed feelings about that because it killed our careers. Yeah. And uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And it's, and it's like, like I said, you can't really blame Kurt Cobain. I mean, he's just doing his thing, you yeah, know? Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's it's just like this, you know, when, when NWA's, first album that was sound scanned came out and i i can't really say the title you know without you know being uh i don't know it's it's a it's it's it was in words for life there we go i have that's a good way to say it that that was one of those things that that it it literally was a sign that music like arrested development was doing was was in endangered so to speak because you, yeah. you had kids that were now buying music that, you know, it was not, it was, it was a lot rougher than what they were doing, you know? And, um, I can remember when that album, it, it debuted, I was, I was just like, you know, here goes that shift again, you know? So, yeah, you know, it's, it, it's, it's, it's good that they had, they had their part in, in rap music history, so to speak. And I, I still like that record. I still enjoy it. But, uh, you know, it was, it was just tough, you know, to, to go on after that, you know, with that same sound, you know, with that same spirit, so to speak. Yeah. 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 Well, um, let's check it out. Um, this track from Arrested Development, People Every Day. Maybe she was demonstrating, but nevertheless 
people every day from Arrested Development. Uh, and that's going to do it for this week's show. So. <laughs> <laughs> there was a lot going on in the last few, last few seconds. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I had fun this time, um, as always. And yeah. <laughs> uh, if you guys want to email us about anything with your questions or comments and want to hear them read on the show, uh, email us at 1000recordingspodcast at gmail.com. And that's 1000 recordings podcast all together. Um, you can list, uh, go to the website at 1000rp.blogspot.com. You can follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash 1000rp. And you can join us on Facebook where we've been posting some bonus tracks from the albums we've been talking about to that page and, and some other things. Um, and, uh, yeah, that's it. Cool, dude. (laughs) So, um, have a good week, Mitch. And thanks for joining me again. You too, Tony. I hope, hope you have a good week. You know, I hope everything goes, goes well for you. And yeah, you too. And, um, next week, uh, we're going to have, do you have the book in front of you, or should I give give the uh, preview? You, yeah, I'll let you do it. Uh, we okay. So next week we have um, the Art Ensemble of Chicago. We have Fred Astaire, uh, Chet Atkins and Les Paul, Albert Ayler, and Baby Huey and the Babysitters. Yeah. So there, there's a lot of stuff on here really that I'm not familiar with. And I'm looking yeah. forward to um, to getting to know. What about you? Yeah, me too. Yeah, I, I, I dug into Albert A. Albert A. Yeah. <laughs> what, what you said, uh, yeah, Albert Eiler? Is that his name? Eiler. Yeah, yeah. Eiler. I, I listened to uh, some of his stuff. Uh, that's that's going to be fun. Fred Astaire too, you know, and and Chet Atkins, you know that you know that stuff. That's you know. American traditional guitar playing, you know, especially you know the, the Les Paul stuff. That's that's gonna be fun. Yeah, yeah, gonna be real fun. So uh, until next week, uh, we'll see you, everybody later. Bye bye, everybody. <laughs> All right, later. This next one was something special. After singing the regular words, I just dropped the music and sang along in my own style. And you tell me that's how scat singing was born. Anyway, let's try it again. 
the good old heebie-jeebies. <laughs>